Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dorsey Wright Podcast. I'm Ian Saunders. And I'm Eric McArdle. And it is Wednesday, November 6th. So first uh, first podcast that we're doing here in uh, the month of November. And uh, with the month of November has brought with it um, some pretty positive movement for um, for at least the domestic equity markets, for sure. Uh, we saw most of the major indexes reaching uh, new all-time highs uh, here earlier this week, um, continuing with some really kind of lack of movement over the past couple of days here. Um, but most of the major indicators that we have on the platform have uh, have continued higher as well. One of the ones that we've been uh, watching specifically for is the, um, the bullish percent for all equity funds, which is that um, that main BP indicator that's on the asset class group scores page. Uh, we saw that reverse back up into a column of X's um, right at the end of October there. Um, and then it continued higher um, to, to reach a new um, a new yearly high actually up at 84% of all equity funds um, are now um, on a point and figure buy signal. So that's definitely a positive sign as we are heading into the seasonally strong period of the market. Is that right, Eric? That is. And, and you know, it's a strong sign for domestic equities, as you mentioned. We're also seeing strength abroad, right? We've seen emerging and developed in international markets rally over the past few months here and uh, certainly showing some score improvements. So a little bit more on the shorter to intermediate side, nothing yet reflected in the longer term rankings of Dolly. But, you know, assuming we continue to see momentum in these areas, you're likely going to see some some of that translate over into longer term indicators. Uh, but we have seen some of that in the models. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, I, I think it's just prudent when we have this this uh, seasonal turnover for what, what we do in the FSM models and we update every November, you know, it's often a, a great time to kind of reassess the playing field, mm-hmm. right? We've seen uh, a shift into that seasonally strong period with the beginning of November. And with it, you know, as, as we pointed out with our previously mentioned observations, we've seen some changes in the market that favor a risk on position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what have we seen from a domestic equity standpoint in those FSM models, Ian? Any major changes? Yeah, I mean, if we start out with uh, start out with some of the U.S. the U.S. focused FSM models, as Eric mentioned, we had uh, the model update, which took place. Uh, models were evaluated as of this past Monday, um, in timing with that that market seasonality aspect. So that old adage that the sell in May and go away, right? Expectation come back in November. Um, so the FSM models are structured to evaluate uh, right at the beginning of that historical historically seasonally strong period right at the beginning of November there. Um, so evaluation was Monday. We saw quite a few changes across a lot of different areas. Uh, but but in that in that U.S. core space specifically, one of the more interesting changes uh, that I wanted to touch on first was uh, within the U.S. core 2S PR 4050 model that we have. Um, so that model is going to seek to hold, it's a pretty small inventory. Um, it's about eight funds in that inventory, I believe. And it seeks to hold uh, the top two uh, scoring funds from a funds core perspective. Um, so upon the reevaluation, we had QQQ stayed in the model that came in earlier this year. Um, but interestingly enough, um, MTUM, the, the momentum fund, moved out um, and was replaced by SPLV, the low volatility portfolio. So at first glance, you think, okay, well, market is uh, heading into the seasonally strong period. Why is a low volatility fund coming into the portfolio? Right? That doesn't tie in. Well, it doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly enough, if you actually look at a performance breakdown um, of SPLV, um, MTUM, and then throw SPX in there as well, um, you can see that uh, over the course of the year so far, um, SPLV has actually um, actually shown a performance of almost 22%, 21.82 uh, through 
through close yesterday, uh, which is pretty close to the cap, the, the, to the normal cap weighted S and P 500 at um, just over 22 percent there. Um, and MTUM's lagging a little bit; it's a little bit behind. It's it, it's at um, 18 percent there. So um, pretty interesting, uh, interesting relationship there. Uh, that sometimes the the nomenclature of the fund itself doesn't always tell the full story. Um, that's not necessarily going to be the same the case for every momentum fund. Our momentum fund there, PDP, um, structure a little bit differently, a little bit uh, different uh, kind of analysis and to, to get at those high high momentum names. Um, it, it's actually beaten all three of those at 25%. Um, but uh, definitely an interesting point that um, low volatility has has definitely been a pretty consistent performer throughout this year. And expectation would be that that, that would continue as we head into that seasonally strong period. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I find some comfort in seeing the low vol factor holding up well. And, it, and if you look back historically, it has a proven track record in the long run. Um, but it is interesting to see, as you mentioned, where the markets are hitting new highs, and then you have low vol actually outperforming or, or near matching the market mm-hmm. in terms of performance. So it's it's just kind of an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. And and to add one more note, Ian, you know, we're looking at the the difference in methodology behind different momentum products. So you know, while you were chatting, I was looking at MTUM versus PDP, mm. and PDP right now, so our, our fund with Invesco, you know, has a, a higher overweight to industrials and a lower overweight to technology, which in, in recent months, you know, has actually uh, panned out to be a good move, right? So um, always know, you know, what you own, look under the hood, and make sure that you've got a full understanding because uh, every product is different. So mm-hmm. just kind of an interesting dichotomy there. Absolutely. But carrying forward, you know, looking at other changes in the FSM model space, you know, we have our all cap world model, which is another core solution based uh, product. And this one is going to be a little bit more granular than the broad based core solution, right? We give the ability to go into size and style factor exposure. And ultimately, we give the ability to move into international markets should relative strength dictate that. Well, we're not seeing that yet. Uh, this is a two holding model. But we did have QQEW come in and join QQQ. So you have the equal weighted Qs and the cap weighted Qs now as the, the model holdings for that, that solution. Hmm. And this is interesting. I, I had a call on this earlier uh, in the week and you know just talking this through. And I think one of the misconceptions with the Qs is that it's all technology, right? And when you look under the hood, it is overweight tech, right? QQQ has 44% in tech. QQEW's got about 38%. Mm. So definitely tech top heavy, which is by and large where you want to be from a score relative strength standpoint. But as the name of the model meant, you know, indicates core solution, these products do have multi multi-sector exposure. So although you're top heavy, you're leaning toward those areas of strength in the market, you're still balanced out from the perspective of saying, I'm not entirely in technology. Mm-hmm. And maybe one way you balance that in addition to you know, having that multi-sector exposure from the products itself, use this model in conjunction with another model mm-hmm. or you know, multiple models. So uh, perhaps saying, I'm going to use all cap world with core solution US 
and that way you've got the low vol component in there uh, to balance out sector exposure additionally. Absolutely. And with, I mean, the sector overweight is always a potential concern, especially maybe for some some compliance departments, right? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, at least it's in line with the most of the other indicators that we have on the platform. I mean, tech, the technology sector still at the top of the Dolly rankings. It's held that spot for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still seeing the technology group score very well on the asset class group scores page. Not necessarily uh, the top scoring sector on, on that page. We've seen real estate, utilities, industrials have done pretty well recently, but but it's up there. And yep. It's been up there for a while. Um, so at least we see that kind of consistency um, and, and not necessarily a, a, a big surprise that we're seeing an overweight for tech in some of these models. Exactly. And then pivoting over to an actively managed solution in the FSM suite, you know, we have the T-Row model, which is very popular. It's going to hold five T-Row price mutual funds and, of course, update on a seasonal quarterly basis. And we saw that tech strength carry over from an active management perspective with the inclusion of the science and technology fund from T-Row. So not entirely tech, right? You get some biotech and some healthcare in there as well, uh, which has lagged on the year, right? Mm -hmm. But interesting when you have that active management component, sometimes you can see the managers uh, be able to diverge away from broad sector performance. And, and that appears to be the case here with T-Row. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, you had equity research move in, so kind of a, a broad-based you know, growth solution. And then one that's a little bit surprising is New Asia, right? So this is a, a emerging market, um, you know, Southeast and, and you know, regional Asian fund from T. Rowe Price that moved in. And is if you look under the hood, it's up 11% since the month of August. So wow. very strong, near perfect fund score of 5.91, which is right shy of a perfect score of six. And, you know, when, when you're looking for what's driving this higher, you've got to look at the regional exposure, right? Mm -hmm. And so what do we see under the hood there, Ian? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Asian equity space in general has been a point of focus in a lot of the research, at least on the international side of things, that we've had over the past couple of weeks. I mean, we saw um, the Japan group on the asset class group scores um, show significant improvement from a fund score perspective. Um, it, it was the, the top, uh, had the highest score direction out of, out of any of the 135 groups we have on the platform. Um, China's been obviously been in the news a lot lately. And when we look underneath the hood at, at that particular uh, fund there, we actually see um, pretty pretty uh, focused exposure in China, um, where it's it's almost above 40%, almost a 45% exposure specifically in China with that, with that fund. So a lot of trade rumors going around, are we going to get a deal, or, or are we not? Um, regardless, we've seen the price movement indicate the, the pretty positive expectations going forward, right? Yep. Um, and we've seen that across the board in some other models that we have on the platform. Uh, specifically, one of, one of the newer models that we have, the uh, crane shares dynamic China rotation model. Uh, it's a model with, that we have with a, a new partner, Crane Shares, um, that looks to um, focus its, its exposure in Chinese equities um, with the potential for the model to become defensive through investment in Chinese fixed income. Uh, but interestingly enough, earlier this week, we, we also saw that model uh, move, uh, add another uh, ec Chinese equity-focused fund, um, the Emerging Markets Healthcare Index ETF, KMED, which is also about a 45 to 50% exposure to China. Um, which is rounds out that model to um, have as much Chinese equity exposure as possible. Um, so it's, it's good that we're seeing that kind of consistent confirmation uh, that the model added one follows through with the, the model added another mm -hmm. um, to show that kind of consistent outperformance um, in, in China and really in emerging markets um, kind of 
going through the uh, as we're heading into that seasonally strong period. Um, another particular model that we we saw changes in kind of going back to the FSM space uh, was in the uh, one of the other newer models that we have here on the platform, um, and that's going back to the the core solutions uh, component that we have there. It's called the Isolated International um, Core 2S PR4050. Uh, so that model we came out with um, it was first published there on October 10th, um, and we saw. It, uh, we saw it move into PIE, interestingly enough, uh, at the beginning of this week. Um, so uh, PIE is, is back into the model. EM's done um, significantly well recently um, as uh, kind of contrast to what we saw at the beginning of the year. Developed markets seemed to be kind of leading the way. Emerging markets was lagging behind. And stories kind of shifted over the past few weeks or really over the past few months here. Um, and it also the introduction of PIE, the Emerging Markets Momentum Portfolio, ties in well to that, going back to that seasonally strong period of the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the expectation would be that in that seasonally strong period, you'd begin to shift more of your allocation towards the high growth and maybe some momentum names. Um, and so we see that that model is following suit in, in line with that, uh, that seasonality aspect. Yeah, that, that is fascinating. And, you know, it's funny because we, we talk about the seasonality aspect and, you know, sometimes you, you look at something like that and go, well, how can that be every year? But mm-hmm. and this has been a, a great example of, you know how pertinent that concept is to investing. So it's it's neat to see the risk on approach that we've seen in recent weeks here. Um, that kind of tie into that. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and moving outside of the equity space, when we look at some developments in fixed income on the the FSM fixed income models that we cover, you know, we we've seen recently just to give you a backdrop. Uh, rates have stabilized, right? We, we did have the Fed come out and announce their second uh, benchmark interest rate cut you know, recently. Um, however, we have seen uh, intermediate and longer, longer-term yields rally off their lows on the year. So right now, the, the 10-year yield on our system, TNX, is at 1850 so 1.85%. And that's off a low on the year of 1450 so 1.45%. So rates have stabilized a bit. However, you're still seeing a, a, a lean toward bonds with duration, right? We've seen the, the short duration trade kind of unwind. Uh, if you look at the PIMCO FSM model that we run on the site, that's a two holding model. Uh, low duration finally fell out of that model inventory or model holding rather. Um, and when we shift over to the, the Franklin fixed income model, which is, is pretty popular, uh, we've seen you know, the Franklin income uh, mutual fund moved back into the model holdings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, out came munis. So moving more toward a little bit of a risk on approach, um, a little bit away from the safe harbor of municipal bonds. Um, and one thing to note with that Franklin Income Fund is it does have some equity exposure in it. So it's kind of an all purpose income fund. But that is now complementing the convertible fund that's in that um, Franklin model. So, you know, definitely a, a risk-on position from a fixed income standpoint. If you're looking for, you know, um, how the duration play is is best approached at this point, we're still seeing intermediate to long-term bonds scoring well, but certainly pulling back a bit off of that their score highs on the year with that rate rally. So something to keep an eye on. We'll see where the interest rate trend continues to move. Uh, it's certainly been negative on the year, but you know recent recent rally and a little bit of a, a stabilization there. So 
who knows where it will go, yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah, definitely, a, definitely a point to watch as we're as we're um, as we're heading towards the end of the year here. Um, one other thing I wanted wanted to, to be sure to, to mention here is that uh, we're talking a lot about these FSM models, right? These fund score method models. Um, if you're listening to this, you're a subscriber to the platform, and you don't see those on the site, um, those are going to be a part of the enhanced security selection package that we have, the ESS package. Which you're more than welcome to to give us a call. We'll get you signed up for a free trial of that um, that add-on service there. Um, but these are um, changes that we're seeing that really do apply from that general score perspective that can be taken into account to to kind of all, all aspects of the site, all aspects of the market. Um, so just because you may not follow the models, definitely um, could use those ideas or implement those ideas in your own practice as well. So. Yeah, great, great point. And, and even if you don't want to learn the methodology, you can follow the models and really know where the market's heading. Mm -hmm. So a great way to proxy, uh, you, you know, any of the research side. Although of course we want you to read the research mm -hmm. and, and follow it and learn it. Um, but you know, just following the models and setting alerts on the top of the model page does give you a pretty good barometer for where things are heading. Mm -hmm. So um, with that said, you know, a lot lot of positive developments in the market overall. Um, hopefully we can carry forward through the rest of November and to the end of the year into 2020. And so with that, Ian, thanks for joining me. And for you all, we'll talk to you next week.